0: Welcome back to the Middle Tech Podcast. My name is Logan Jones. I'm here with Evan Knowles, recording out of Awesome Inc. And we just sat down with Buddy Bockweg, who is the founder and CEO of a company called vSimple. Uh, so what vSimple is doing is giving transparency into supply chain management uh, by integrating with all the various systems that companies use uh, to manage their supply chain and pulling all that disparate data into one place. So there's one source of truth for these companies to manage all of those systems. Uh, vSimple didn't start this way, though. So what's interesting is that they actually started a company called Access Point Alliance, uh, that was a supply chain management company. So kind of dealing in this industry already. And they realized that the technology that they had built to manage that business was actually the most valuable part of that. Uh, So they went through a pivot Uh, where they pivoted that Access Point Alliance, which was a company that was already seeing um, multi-million dollars in revenue uh, within the first year it was built. And they pivoted that into vSimple and started selling just that core technology. Um, So we got to sit down with Buddy and discuss these things. I'll let Evan talk a bit about what that discussion centered around.
1: Yeah, so we did talk a bit about uh, that pivot because pivoting a company is very scary. So we did focus on that for a while. Uh, We talked about how him and his four co-founders are aligning around, you know, a common mission. Sometimes it's hard when you have uh, people from different backgrounds uh, and multiple co-founders to have, you know, that cohesive vision and that cohesive mission. Uh, So he talks about how he's really working hard to make sure they all have that shared uh, vision and mission. We talked about raising money. You know, he's been raising a good amount of money. You know, they raised uh, close to a million dollars, I think maybe a little over a million dollars when they first launched. Uh, now they're having to uh, raise some more money to take this product to market uh, and build the right team. Uh, and then we talked about uh, growing a company here in Kentuckyana. So there's a lot of good things about growing a company here. There are some struggles, and so we talked about those. Uh, and he laid them all out on the table. So it was a good conversation. What is Kentuckiana, real
0: quick, before we dive in here? That's
1: the combination of Kentucky and Indiana, especially up around Louisville. Basically, it's that, that section of Louisville and southern Indiana Uh, that
0: are very close to each other and oftentimes there's overlap. Yep, cool. So before we dive into this conversation, as always, we just want to get a quick word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by our sponsor, Land Betterment. Land Betterment is doing some incredible work throughout Appalachia and eastern Kentucky as they are taking abandoned strip mines and putting sustainable businesses in their place. These businesses not only provide a useful repurposing of the land, but they also provide great jobs to replace the mining jobs that were lost when the mine was shut down. To learn more about Land Betterment, you can listen to our interview with their founders, Mark Jensen and Kirk Taylor, on episode 97, or visit their website at landbetterment.com.
1: This episode is also brought to you by Airwing Ventures. Airwing helps determine entrepreneurs seeking resources to grow with capital and connections in order to grow successful companies and impactful legacies. They're all about high growth companies, high growth careers, and high growth communities. I've personally known Dan for about four years now, and I've seen the work he's been doing in the community, and we should all be grateful for VCs like him around this area. I encourage you to connect with Airwing and learn more. Let's all connect and grow together. You can email Dan at info at airwing.vc. Their website is www.airwing.vc.
0: And before we get started, we just want to tell you guys about a great opportunity from our sponsor, Render Capital. So Render Capital is a Louisville-based investment firm with a shared mission of advancing the startup ecosystem in Kentucky and the Midwest. Are you a startup founder who could use $100,000? If so, Render Capital wants you to apply for their 2021 Render Competition. The Render Competition invests $100,000 into eight early stage startups each year to help them scale their solution and attract future investment. Your startup should be one of those startups. Anyone is welcome to apply and it's super easy. Applications are open now and the deadline to apply is May 6th. Learn more about the Render Competition and apply today at render.capital/competition or check out today's episode description for a direct link. Again, that's render.capital slash competition. All right, welcome back, everyone. We are here in Awesome Inc. Studio in Lexington, Kentucky, and we are sitting down with our buddy, uh, our friend, Buddy Bachweg, <laughs> walked right into that, uh, Love that. little stutter there. Um, but Buddy, how you doing today? Thanks for, for joining us.
2: I'm good, Logan. It's good to be here, man. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. This is awesome.
0: Absolutely. I was excited to have you on just because you put out so much positive energy on LinkedIn. Oh. You're always interacting with us and stuff. And I was like, this is just a genuinely good guy. And then when you walked in, that energy just filled the studio.
2: So. Nice, man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. What a nice compliment. You absolutely. Know? <laughs> if, absolutely. Uh, so, I'll take that. If somebody says, hey, you know what? That's a positive guy right I there. I noticed that as well.
0: Yeah, Good. no, it was, it was one of those things. So cool. very excited to sit down and talk to you about V-Simple, yeah. which you're the, the co-founder and CEO of. Um, so we'll get into that. But before we dive into that, just walk us through your background real quick. So you can start with your educational background, walk us in the professional background, but take that wherever you want.
2: Yeah. So I grew up, born and raised Louisville, Kentucky, uh, went to Trinity high school, graduated in 1997.
1: Okay. So. I say next guy. I want to say next. Oh.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I knew that was coming <laughs> That's okay though. <sighs> After
1: you graduate, you know, it's not as severe of a uh, no, of a rivalry,
2: Yeah. but you know, you just got to throw it out there. With uh, of course. Be the king, right. Yeah. We're always going to be rivals. Yeah. We just love each other a little bit when we're it yes. like, uh, Doesn't mean I can't make fun of you. Um, right. And vice versa. Um, graduated from Trinity. So when I graduated from high school, uh, I had my my father, not to get too deep on this, but my father took his own life when I was a sophomore in high school. Uh, and I had to grow up pretty quick. I have a younger sister. So I had a, you know, it was like, hey, I have a mom, younger sister, need to jump in, try to figure this out. And did. Grew really close, still close to this day. But when I graduated from high school and I went to the University of Kentucky, freedom, that freedom <laughs> that I felt. Um, yeah. So <laughs> it was. Uh, <laughs> and I thought, you know what? I, I like math. Like, I'm going to jump into engineering because, you know, that just makes sense. Yeah. Uh, and I had an uncle that I kind of idolized at that time. And it was like, hey, I'm going to be an engineer. And I walked into the class the first day. I'll never forget. Uh, I hadn't even got my books. And I walk in and these they're already like gathering in groups and studying the topics that the teacher hadn't even come out yet. And I'm like, you guys got your books? Like, this is crazy. What are you doing with your books? And they're like, we've been meeting for a week prior to this getting ready. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, maybe engineering's not for me. So yeah, I didn't make it through. So it a couple years at the University of Kentucky, I was politely asked to leave the University of Kentucky, came back to L, fell in love in finance, right? Nice. Uh, got into business school, Love finance, one of those those, you know, moments in your life that you're like, Hallelujah. Like this is so I ended up graduating with like what like a 3.4 GPA after having a cumulative like two. <laughs> 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 so uh and when I graduated, so my stepfather had started a business. Uh, and his the business was lighting distribution, but it was doing it for like national accounts. Uh, and he had Really, two accounts at the time. It was Kentucky Fried Chicken and Texas Roadhouse. And with my finance degree, I wanted to go to New York. Obviously, I was going to sit for my Series Seven. I wanted to, you know, travel down. Uh huh. Yeah, Yeah. the finance packing lifestyle. Yeah, you got it right. You know, Wall Street was one of my favorite movies. You know, I had this Mm -hmm. whole like, I'm going to go and go big, yeah, kind of moments. And my stepfather, uh, he was like, Hey, you know what? We started this business, and I had worked there basically part-time slash full-time in the warehouse, packing boxes. And he was like, hey, just give me a year. Like, You're going to have to sit for your Series 7 and study and that kind of stuff. Just work in the business for a year and see what you think. And I did, and I fell in love with it. Now, the people and the connection. And working with the large organizations, right, that whole, like, KFC at the time was going through the transition to Tricon, which was KFC Taco Bell and Pizza Hut. And Texas Roadhouse was on fire. Yeah, uh, And it was just that, like, wow, like, this is cool. Like, I didn't know this world existed. And through that process, you know, it was really eye-opening to the point where it was like, all right, I'm in. The finance degree, you know, as far as the you know, use of it at that moment, Yeah, you know, I kind of went by the wayside was we built this business. So, yeah, that's my story. And, and how did that bridge towards, you know, V-Simple? What, yeah, what, what happened so I uh, worked in that business for almost 20 years. Okay. Um, my stepfather ended up passing away. I worked in it for like three years, Uh, and then my stepfather, he had skin cancer, metastasized to his brain. Uh, He was kind of the sales behind the business. And so when he passed away, he had partners, uh, and one of the partners jumped in, and he was like, hey, listen, we can either shut this thing down or we can continue on, because it was pretty small at that time. Uh, And that gentleman already had an exit from a previous venture. So he was like, it's up to you all. What do you want to do? And I'm like, all right, well, we're having fun. Like, I see a future. Like, let's go. Uh, So we did. So we grew that business up over the years. And then, you know, it was just uh, typical family business stuff. Yeah. Right. I love him to this day. Uh, Unfortunately, uh, he's not with us either, but it's a part of my history, right? Like, this was the foundation of me as a professional. Uh, so after doing that for almost 20 years and identifying the pitfalls and the pains and the perils as it relates to how do you manage your customers and how do you create amazing experiences? And the technology in the B2B space was just, it was either crazy expensive or it didn't work for our environment. Uh, when you look at distribution and manufacturing and logistics, after seeing all that, it was, it was time for me to go. It was like, hey best of luck and jumped out and found four co-founders uh, myself and four gentlemen and we started our original business which is a supply chain management business called access point Alliance back in into 2019 and then we progressed from there and I don't know if you want to jump into the next yeah opera. let's
0: uh let's talk about yeah. that pivot because you guys built yeah. that up really quick and then yeah. it turned into V simple so kind of walk us through that story of you know that quick <coughs> growth with access point and then how it how you guys made that decision
2: to pivot. Yeah. It's, uh, it's crazy to think about now. It's only been uh, a year and a half, but it feels like it's been 12 years. Yeah. Um, so we, we build the supply chain business and we were, we were very thoughtful in our co-founding team. And the fact that when I jumped out, it was, you know, I had led organizations before, right? So it was like, all right, first thing I need to do is find people that aren't like me. Right. Here's the things that I do really well and the things I don't do well at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's see if I can't fill those voids with, and that's why the co-founding team ended up being five because it was like, Hey, I have a finance degree. I understand the financials, but I don't, I don't know how to do them. Right. I don't, spreadsheets aren't my thing. Like trying to figure out how to, to build a balance sheet. Oh, like that sounds just terrible to me. This is because it's not what I do. It's not what I do well anyways. So... Gary Krasilis, our CFO, he was the first one. I reached out to Gary. Gary worked at uh, Waystar at the time. He was involved in a a big transaction that they were doing and we just talked, right? It was one of those things where it was like, we had connected years prior to that and wanted to do something together and we just couldn't find a way to make it work and him and I connected on faith-based level, right? It was, you know, Hey, we're, we're doing this for, for a higher purpose. So let's, you know, Hey man, now's not the time. Let's figure it out later. And when I jumped out, <laughs> I called him and I'm like, hey man, are you ready? Because <laughs> I'm ready. <laughs> um, and he was like, well, I'm not really ready. Like, we're in the middle of a big transaction. Yeah. Waystar was, uh, well, Zermed was becoming Waystar through a gigantic yep. um, $2.7 billion deal. And so he was on the deal team. So he was like, I have to see this through. You know, how often do you get in Kentucky of almost a $3 billion transaction that you get to be a part of the deal team? So it worked out perfectly. He got to honor that. He got to be a part of us as far as our, our, our startup. But then looking at the other, it was like, all right, so you're good at the financial piece. I'm good at sales, leadership, that kind of stuff. Well, we need somebody that kind of is the day-to-day, right? Data and analytics, because we want to build a platform that's driven around data and analytics. And then we need somebody that supports the supply chain, right? Like has supply chain background. So Aliyah Tatua, he worked with me in the previous business. He has a huge pedigree in supply chain. So he, you know, he built supply chains for special forces in the army, like Mm. uh, Afghanistan, right? Like he's understanding how to move things is what he does. It's got to be one of the most complex supply chains that you can
0: manage, getting stuff over to Afghanistan.
2: Well, in, in conflicted areas. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> and backpacks full of money and he's got all kinds of stories. Oh, right? sure. i are mean, sure. Reminds me of War Dogs. Um, yeah. He's, you know, if you catch him uh, in the middle of a couple of bourbons, it's always a fun <laughs> conversation. So when we, he was like, all right, you're supply chain focused. Uh, Gary had worked with a gentleman at Waystar that uh, had a data and analytics background, you know, understood how to, you know, put the pieces together. And so the four of us came together and it was like, perfect. All right, we've got the four. Now we need to build technology. (laughs) And we all looked at each other and we were like, well, who's going to do that? Like, no, I'm not going to do that. And you're not going to do that. And you're not going to do that. So it was like, all right. Uh, And I'll never forget. So Kelby Price, uh, I credit Kelby with this. Um, I sat down with Kelby and Kelby was like, you're going to build technology and you're going to outsource that. The main staple of your business, you're going to give to a contractor. Yeah. Who is people getting people make that mistake a lot? So thank the good Lord for Kelby, and Kelby connected me to Brian Herbert, uh, and Brian had been with business here in Lexington. Uh, I'm so... Familiar with that business? We've had the founder on. Yeah, at, uh, Make Time. Right? Yeah, oh yep. yeah, Make Time. Yep, yep, yep. Um, so got connected with him, and Make Time had just gone through a transaction, yep. uh, and it had become Zometry, and Brian was ready to make a move, and we just connected at the right time. And a short, funny story on that is is. Brian actually sat down with me to pitch me on his new idea Yeah, because he's got a company called Dot Neutral. And he was like, hey, you know, I, I'm here to kind of tell you about Dot Neutral. And I was like, oh, that's really interesting. Uh, that's not what I'm interested in. <laughs> like, hey, here's what I'm interested in. I want to bring you in. Like, Here's what we're building, what we're doing. Here's the team that we've assembled. What do you think? Because he was right in the very early stages of raising money. Hmm. And I'm like, man, do you really want to do that? Like that's hard. Like, yeah, networking <laughs> and all that stuff. Like, you build tech; that's what you do. Yeah. And so we, we agreed. It was like, hey, meet the team, and if you fall in love with them, and they fall in love with you, yeah, can we do this? Yeah. And sure enough, we did. Yeah. So we were a distribution company with a CTO, which, especially in early stage, didn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. Um. And the reason why we did that was is our initial thought: we're going to b- build technology for ourselves that differentiates our company enough to go out and get awarded all of these wonderful contracts. Well, we did that, <laughs> and, and it worked so well. The, the caveat that we didn't take into consideration was people aren't willing to pay us more for the technology piece. Mm-hmm. Just because we had wonderful tech, yeah, they would award us contracts, but we're still working on margins somewhere between 7 and 12%.
0: Mm.
2: There were different budgets there. So, yeah. and it's because the supply chain, right? The, the movement of parts and pieces, you know, the Amazons of the world have come in and they've really commoditized this. It's like, Hey, you know, these big organizations, we were talking to a couple and they were like, yeah, $20 million contract. And you're like, yes. Like, all right, let's, let's bid on that. And they're like, well, how low will you go? <laughs> I'm like, but we have this wonderful technology and they're like, ah, whatever. And
0: like That's great. <laughs> they just want to get it pointed to point B. It's
2: <laughs> it. Right. And. At the time, it was more of hey, you're like we need to save money, right? These corporations are trying to figure out ways to be able to mitigate some of this expense. Uh, so they might be paying ten percent, but if you come in and seven percent, they say three percent on twenty million dollars. You know that person in corporate America gets a bonus. You get a big contract, and then Gary, our CFO, coming out of the B two B SaaS space, was like, "What are we doing?" Like we were able to grow from zero to a couple million dollars in a very short period of time. But then we looked at, you know, the gross profit and how it netted down. It's like, are we really going to want to do all of this work and expand? And it's extremely capital intense. You're talking space with warehouses and racks and forklifts and inventory management systems and personnel to be able to fulfill all this stuff. Yeah, when there's hundreds, if not thousands, of companies, even right here in the state of Kentucky, that will do that for very minimal margins. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, this doesn't make any sense. So the end of summer of 2020, yeah. So we're going through the pandemic, uncertain about what is the corporate spend going to be because our target was really these large organizations, you know, you know, the young brands of the world and others. Yeah, uh, and uh, we were trying to figure out, all right, what is it? And we weren't necessarily targeting the end users, we were targeting the companies that were selling to these end users, big you know food service equipment manufacturers and others. Uh, and it was like, hey, how can we help facilitate the movement of your stuff to them? And we identified quickly, like, this is not a path we want to run down. Yes, we could chase dollars, and we could probably grow this thing into a huge company. But if I'm doing my job as CEO and worried about creating maximum value for our investors, I'm doing them a disservice. Because we started giving our technology to our customers and they started saying, our tech, your technology is off the charts. We sell your technology to other companies. Like we have other suppliers. We want to communicate with them just like we communicate with you. And that was the aha moment coupled with the financials. And we all came together and said, it's time. Like if we're ever going to make a pivot, let's do it now. How scary was that? Because I've been, I've been through a slight pivot. And you know,
1: that was one of the most stressful weeks of my life. It sounds like you were stressed before and this was kind of like the, oh, this is great moment. So it sounds a little different, but talk about what it feels like to do a pivot. Because so many that's such a talked about thing in the entrepreneurship space, but mm-hmm. you know, nobody talks about the details of
2: what it feels like to go through it. Yeah. It's terrifying. It still is. Right? I mean, we walked away, and I'm not gonna say we walked away, because access point alliance still exists today and we have some contracts that could be fruitful in the future. Um, but we're not focused in that area, so we've just set it off to the side. But here we are, right? We're we are generating revenue, and you look at the number of companies out there that can do, you know, a couple million dollars in business in less than a year and and walk away from that. Wow, yeah. Uh, and I thought it was going to be our investors that would be like, "What are you all doing? Like, here you guys just started and making traction, and then you're saying we're going to go a different direction." And what we found was, is it was a hallelujah moment for everyone because, you know, you start looking at what you're building, um, knowing, right. That this is something, uh, we don't have plans for this to be a legacy business, right? I have a five-year-old son, you know, who knows, but the plan is not for him to come in and sit in my seat someday, right? It's like, Hey, we want to grow something up. We want to create an opportunity for a bunch of people to create wealth for themselves. Right. And our whole mantra is that is we want to build up so we can give back. Right. So how do we do that? What does that look like? Uh, And if we're sticking to our guns, as we started this thing, uh, as five co-founders that said, Hey, we're going to do this together. And this is how we're going to do it. And we're going to stick to our guns, good or bad. Then we have to honor that. Uh, And we did. So even to this day, right, we're an early stage technology startup now we just got our, our you know our first revenue contract less than a few weeks ago we are now moving in a direction going okay do we make the right move yeah right and and you're second guessing yourself a lot right you're questioning did we make the right move is it the right move but then you see these aha moments right you see your customer light up when you show them the platform that you've created and they go you can do that that that's the thing for me that when we went through our pivot um, again, it was slight. We
1: we we stayed in the, the real estate industry. We were always a software product where we switched from selling to property managers to real estate, residential real estate agents. The thing that I always like, because that was so stressful. That was the most stressful couple of weeks of my life when I made that pivot. One of the most stressful weeks of my life. But what helped me get through was just talking to customers. Yeah. It was like listening to them talk about the product and how it was going to help them and why they you know couldn't wait to get it in their hands. Yeah. And that made everything feel better. Yeah, I think it's, that would be my advice to anybody going through a pivot is like, I mean, you're always supposed to talk to as many customers. You can never mm. talk to too many customers when you're building a product, but like especially during that time where you're considering changing things, that's the time to do it most and just reaffirm, you know, what you're feeling and get that energy from them to help fuel the the pivot. Yes, that right? that'd yes. be what
0: I that'd be what I would tell people. Yeah, you mentioned a second ago that your mantra was to to grow it up so that you can give back. Yeah, talk a little bit about how you and your co founders came together under this kind of like one founding principle that you wanted to yeah. to give back. I know you mentioned just a second ago as well, it being centered around faith even. So dive into that real quick because we just had an episode about that. There was a really enjoyable episode for us around faith and and entrepreneurship. And we think that's super important. So we'd love to hear you hit on that for for a sec.
2: Yeah. So um here's where I'll start on that, right? So when I jumped out and you start looking at what do you want to do next in life? Right. I'm at that time I'm, I haven't reached forty yet. Now I'm forty two. So Uh, you know, midlife crisis stuff, right? You're going, what kind of impact do I want to leave on this planet? Not knowing how much time I have. None of us know. So what is it that I want to do? Like, all right, well, I want to help people. I want to connect people. And you're like, that's, and how do you do that? How do you emulate that? Well, you surround yourself with people like that. So the co-founding criteria was like, yes, you have to be extraordinary at what you do professionally, but you have to be a better person. You are a professional. And, you know, this is God stuff, guys. I mean, at the end of the day, this is what this is. This is God placing people in my life and me recognizing the fact that this person not only is an incredibly talented professional, but just an amazing person. And also
0: all of them are. Yeah. And that also leads to great company culture, which is such a huge part of building an early stage company. If you guys jive together and you all have that same vision that really can. It's hard to place a value on it. If you if you guys are all on the same page that coherently,
2: it's so we had to make some hard decisions early on, right? So when we started the business, uh, we have a co founding team of five. How do you distribute equity like that? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Eish. And I'll never forget, right? So unfortunately, Brian Herbert came in after the valuation, so it was like, oh man, like we've got to figure out, and we're still trying to figure out exactly how to make him whole. That's a whole different subject on its own, but uh, the four of us at that time, we're all looking at each other going, all right, here's what I'm thinking, right? I need to be able to be in control of the business. So I need 51. The 49 is up to you all. And I'll never forget. They came back and it's one of those where you're like, wow, like, this is crazy. You have multiple people that have different skill sets and different talents and different stages in their career. And they come back to me and they say, split it equal. Hmm. i like, really? Like, <laughs> I figured one of you would have been like, now, like I have five more years experience than this guy. And, you know, I did supply, you know, I figured somebody was going to trump somebody and they didn't, man. And that was proof right there. So when we all came together and we said, all right, what are we really trying to accomplish here? We can build anything, which is kind of the trap of an entrepreneur, right? It's like, all right, we can build anything. It's a blank screen. Um. When we started down the path, it was very clear to us that what we wanted to build had to be big. And there are two reasons: one is to fulfill our our mantra, right? You know, to build wealth, right? It's got to be big. And the second reason is you've got now five co-founders, and we want to make sure that there's equity for the people that are coming into our business. Mm-hmm. We want to make sure that the culture that we're creating is. Is, is a winning one for a multitude of reasons. The people that we attract are ones that want to light the world on fire, that don't want to just have a job or want to be a part of a startup. Like, hey, man, like this is what we're trying to accomplish. Either get on or get out. And to do that, we have to go big. Uh, and so that has been our push and our, 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 and when we all sat down at the table early on and we said, what is it that we want to do? It was We want a moonshot yeah and
1: you know i assume one of the reasons you can have that let's go big kind of ideal is you're selling into a legacy industry like legacy industries you know typically have big opportunities because they move slow or they're hesitant and somebody can come in with just that right solution that that really does what the market needs That provides what the market needs is that part of the thinking talk about like what it's like selling into a legacy industry that is behind the times, you know,
2: sounds like supply chains, one of those. It is. It is. It's not for the faint of heart. I can tell you that. <laughs> There's a reason why most technology companies sell technology to other technology companies because they adopt yeah. technology, <laughs> right? It's like, hey, yeah. I'm in the business. Like I'm, I'm looking for all kinds of apps and tech and all that stuff. But to your point, Evan, what we're, what we see in the market today is a huge, I'm going to call it the middle, Right. If you're in distribution, manufacturing, logistics right now, you and you've made investments in technology, you've probably made them in an ERP or a CRM or maybe some type of like quoting software, like a CPQ, right? These three investments are huge investments. And unfortunately, most of them don't work for you out of the box. I'm going to say most of them, all of them don't work for you out of the box, So you start working into these systems and identifying they're great at some things, right? The ERP systems, great at financials. CRM, great at data warehousing and management and being able to structure your customers and what they're doing and what they're spending. The CPQ is just quoting software to be able to take a bill of material, put it out for a price so that you can actually send it to somebody. But when you look at customizing these to ensure that you're working as efficiently as you possibly can, to put data in a centralized space and identifying like, hey, how are we really performing from discovery to cash? You can do it, but the expense with an ERP and a CRM is immense. Um, Basically, paying, you, have, you have to pay multiple you know, full-time consultants that make six figures. So you start with the consultants, right? And they come in and they charge you some type of crazy fee. Uh, then they build it. And guess what? Now they have to maintain it. Yeah. Now you're maintaining something and now you're in the development of technology business. Hmm. Well, if you make stuff or you move stuff for a living, that's not what you do. So if that's not what you do, then what are you doing developing within your systems? So we built a system to be able to connect that data in the communication and the collaboration and bring it all in a centralized space at a very affordable price with a very light lift from your team at the beginning. And put it into their hands as it's like your iPhone, right? And every week it goes by, it's going to iterate and it's going to get better. And there's going to be new features and there's going to be new opportunities for you to invest in our platform. We feel like, to answer your question on the opportunity within this market, that there is a gigantic opportunity in distribution, manufacturing, logistics, but in reality, in everything business to business. B2C, right, is light years ahead of B2B. Mm-hmm. Has been for years. You know, we kid about it. If you saw my post on Domino's, right, it's the f- thing that we talk about most. It's a, I order a $12 pizza and I can see the whole transaction take, you know, right in front of my eyes. I've, it's in the oven. It's out of the oven. It's pizza a tracker. Box, I right? love that thing. It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Right? And so we used to order, you know, a million dollars worth of light fixtures and have no idea what was going on for weeks so we couldn't communicate to anyone. Well, hold on a second. Like, that doesn't make any sense. How does that work? Um, why? Well, it's because they're working in disparate systems and nobody's, you don't have the ability to proactively approach the situation because it's all reactively driven. And it's, and it's reactively driven because you're working your emails separate from your spreadsheet, separate from your ERP financial system, separate from your separate from your, right? Yeah, it so, keeps going, right? Yeah. So if you don't have anything pulling all that together, there's no way for you to manage that. So we see an, a huge opportunity in the market right now and as the generational changes take place, right? So this old industry, you know, you're having turnover, right? The the grandfather, the father, now the son or the daughter, uh mother, you know, that situation This generation that's coming through that has worked with technology their entire life is going to get involved and engaged and go, whoa, whoa, whoa. Why are we not connecting these things? You know, this doesn't make any sense. Why are we not trying to invest in technology to create efficiencies and then create remarkable experiences for our customers? Because without those two things, without growth of revenue and reduction in operation expenses, we could be out of business in a short period of time. So we feel, you know, right time, right place. We feel like our technology is the right tech, uh, you know, it's still early, so we'll see how it all plays out.
1: Yeah, and
2: um, so the is, the is the
1: goal to have a piece of software that you can place into a company with as little configuration as possible? Because if you have these different systems that are very customized, then talk about the challenge of then introducing one that doesn't need that customization because how do you talk to each of those systems? I'm sure that's hard. I'm sure that's one of your biggest struggles.
2: Yeah. I mean, integration is, is always a struggle. Yeah. We, we use the the term connection because we feel like because we're not putting ourselves in their world, our platform is not going into NetSuite, like the ERP system, right? It's Oracle's product. We're connecting to it and just gathering data from it. And right now we're just pulling data into our platform. We're not even talking back to it yet. Yeah. So, and the reason for that is, is we want our platform to be the source of truth, right? If people are going to work every day and they're going to want to work efficiently, they need to be working in our platform. You know, the number one, you know, cause of inefficiencies is, especially when you look at distribution manufacturing is trying to find information. There's a stat that's crazy and I, I, I won't quote it because I, I don't know the article that it's from, but people spend large chunks of their day just trying to find information. And it's usually around, where's my order? You know, did you process that? I didn't get a confirmation. You know, all these things, do you have tracking? All these menial tasks that add up and compound on themselves over the course of uh, a week, and you start going, hold on a second, if we can eliminate an hour a day out of somebody's time, which is what we're tracking against right now. And you say, all right, and you have 20 people in your organization that are doing that. Wow, hold on a second. We're giving you back 100 hours as an organization? The return on investment, specifically with our pricing model, is almost immediate, and that connection is light enough to where we can manage it. Yes, they're going to update and upgrade, uh, and you know we're, there's going to be things that uh, that are going to break that we're going to have to fix. Uh, but as we grow, part of that is is you know they're investing in these ERP systems. There's lots of legacy systems that are going to be upgraded to probably less than you know, ten or twelve. I mean, look at the CRM space. I mean, it's like Salesforce HubSpot. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. And once you get into the big businesses, it's it's typically Salesforce. Yeah. You know, they gotta move up to enterprise, which
2: is pretty much the Salesforce stronghold. And then once you get into Salesforce, man. So it's we all have customized. <laughs> we, we're very fortunate. The gentleman, our VP of product, Henry Lynch, he is a uh, he's a Salesforce engineer. So he understands like that world and Mm -hmm. the expense that's associated with that and how cumbersome it is yeah have you it's great
1: yeah yeah and we moved one of the companies we built uh basically got a consultant in customers and salesforce the other one we moved off of salesforce to hubspot so it's it's always a mess you know it's like crms (laughs) should be way simpler than they really are
2: well that's (laughs) That's, why you do what you do right that's
1: right and i want you i want to connect you to randall stevens here in lexington okay he's building a company called avail which I want you to give him that pitch of like the finding things because that's exactly what they're doing and solving for the architecture space. Oh, so instead of like supply chain, they're helping architects throughout the design lifecycle find what they need by connecting these disparate systems and providing them like the search engine and really great user interface to wow uh, control their assets, which mm-hmm. is digital assets. But in your world, it's physical assets. So I need to connect to you to Randall because I'm sure you and him can have a great conversation about the okay. struggles you guys are facing and. The architecture industry is legacy as well, you know, pretty, pretty, uh, slow moving space, but, you know, because of many reasons, but uh, you guys definitely need to connect. Love that. So, uh, before we get to the end of this, let's talk about, you know, building a company in Kentucky before we got on, we were talking about this, uh, and the struggles that you're facing, but also the things that you love about Kentucky. So let's talk about first, what do you love about building a business in Kentucky and what do you just love about Kentucky in general?
2: Yeah. So um, I, I'm born and raised Kentuckian, right? And I got in my early days, you know, I got to travel the country uh, pretty immensely. So I've been to just about every state. Uh, and there's lots of wonderful things about America, right? But Kentucky's home. We just had the Derby. You know, there's nothing quite like Churchill Downs. And we, we had Kentucky good weather. Derby. Yeah. Oh, can you believe that? <laughs> yeah. And we went on <laughs> Thursday. So, yeah, we're, we had a blast. But uh, in the end, what we're doing, right? We're trying to. Kentucky as a whole, the world outside of Kentucky looks at Kentucky as like, oh, well, that's cute. I fly over you all. (laughs) "Mm -hmm." Oh, you're in Kentucky. Oh, Uh, I-65. That's about all I know. in, in, in you know, as soon as you say you're from Kentucky, the first thing they want to talk to you about is horse racing. And then they want to talk about bourbon. Or Kentucky Fried Chicken. Kentucky Fried Chicken used to be a lot of conversations. It's not so much anymore. Thank but It's but at the end, it's like all right. Like it's more than horse racing and bourbon. 100. Um, and what we want to do is bring awareness to the the fact that there's amazingly talented and incredible people here doing absolutely extraordinary things. Uh, which is why you know I'm, I'm interacting with you all on LinkedIn, man, because it's like go get them like bring them in show the world like this is it's not just a uh, podunk you know you know all those counties right you're <laughs> like no like this is you know all those counties are amazing by the way if you've never driven through the state of kentucky you're missing something yeah, uh, please yeah. just get in your car and drive through yeah um and what we want to do is bring a light to that now you know we're in louisville and indiana so we're in what you call Kentuckyana, right? <laughs> so we're, we're struggling right now. in the fact and I say struggling, um, we're, we're raising money, right? At the end of the day, that's, we got to continue to raise money to build this business out. And we're, we're looking for the right partners and we've just struggled with the state of Kentucky and it's, um, there's not risk capital just isn't. Yeah. It's I a
0: cultural it, thing. It's a it's a mindset, it's a risk averse type of conservative mindset that we have around here. And that spills into all sorts of different industries. That's not just yeah. venture capital. I
1: think that's part of it, but it's also there's life cycles to ecosystems. It's like mm-hmm. we haven't had a
0: whole lot of exits
1: yeah. that then lead to other capital. It's like you look at Indianapolis before exact target and some of these companies that were up there, they were in the same boat years prior to that. And so it's just like Kentucky has that mindset thing you mentioned, Logan, but you know, more so, and probably the biggest factor is just we haven't had the life cycle that the coast has had, you know, we don't have the exits. We don't have the people that have extreme wealth because they've gone through it, you know? Um, So that's, that's another part of it. But we hear that over and over again of, you know, funding is one of the hardest things in that risk capital piece. And it just seems to be so apparent and people are just starting to look outside of, you know, Kentucky at this point.
2: And that's sad, right? Is the yeah. fact that, you know, and we're doing the same thing. Um, we're, we're in, by the way, Southern Indiana is awesome. Uh, so I'm, I, I have nothing bad to say. New Albany is where we're located right now. It's off the charts. Good. like, you know, downtown New Albany is really cool. Uh, it's across 64 bridge. You know, I, I've never spent any time over there until we physically started our supply chain business. One of our investors, John Neese, he has a building over there, which is how we ended up there because we needed warehouse space and warehouse space in Louisville was few and far between unless you went Shepherdsville and beyond. And we were like, Man, we don't really don't want to go out to Shepherdsville. <laughs> so we ended up in Indiana, fell in love with it and it was like, wow, this is this is kind of cool. But then you start looking around and you're like, hold on a second, why is Indiana so much more progressive? Especially in early stage. You know, I'm like, we're the early stage progressive, hey, let's go tackle the world together and you know what? Yeah, we'll They're starting to see returns. I think yeah. is part of it. You know, it is. Indianapolis
1: is just such a big thing yeah. for Indiana. If I don't know what. Honestly, when I drive through Indiana, I'm like, "What is Indiana good for?" Honestly, sometimes. <laughs> sometimes when I go up to Chicago, I'm just like, "What?" what oh, there's got? long stretch. A lot of man. farming, of yeah. course, very, very important to America. Wind, wind farms, like, yeah, wind farms. <laughs> but uh, Indianapolis is so big for Indiana. Yeah. And you look down south in Nashville, Oracle moving in, Amazon. You know these. The companies, uh behave behavior, behavior mm. health um out of E Town is having office has offices in Nashville because of uh you know the tech space and the healthcare space down there. Yep. When's Kentucky gonna realize that you know we've gotta make investments in the technology space? I mean, they 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 probably are now seeing app harvest, but like at some point Kentucky's gotta wake up and realize oh man, like we are way behind and the investment that needs to be made, needs to be made now because look at what just happened with COVID. People are leaving San Francisco and New York and where are they going? They're going to Austin, Utah, Nashville, and, and some of these other markets. They don't even, Kentucky's probably not even considered, yeah. right? And like, we've got to get into the conversation somehow. And it, it's through technology. Manufacturing is important. That's been the backbone of Kentucky, you know, for so long. And supply chain because of just I sixty five. Yep. But like at some point we've got to realize we've just got to double down on technology because over time that's where the returns are gonna be.
2: And, and that's where business is gonna be. Yeah. Every right? business I've, has to be a
1: tech company. That's it. They don't have right? a choice anymore.
2: There you're you're in technology is something that's gonna fuel our future. So as the state, right, the you know, if we're looking at where are we gonna place bets, that should be a huge bet. And and Evan, to your point, you're. We haven't had the exits, and the exits that we've had, unfortunately, haven't stayed. Mm. Yeah, right. It's like, oh wow, like stick around, <laughs> and and that's where we want to be, right? We want to be a company like that. We want to grow this thing up in the right way with the right people doing the right things. And you know, most of these companies fail, right? I mean, at the end of the day, we're we're not. I'm a positive thinker. You ask my wife, and she'll probably tell you that uh, there's a whole other part of my life that I'm really negative on. <laughs> yeah, But in business, it's like everything, we can accomplish anything. But the, re- the sad reality is, is most of these businesses fail, and we have to accept that as a community. Like, hey, you know what? You're going to have to roll the dice, and you're going to have to hope that one pops. Look at the VC community. What do they do? They make multiple bets, praying that one goes. Yeah. Uh, and as we're starting to surround ourselves with people within our community that one that pops, pour fuel into, right? And get it to go big. And let's figure out how we keep that talent here. Not only the the talent, but the resources the talent brings as far as capital goes, because you're right. Indianapolis, that's exactly what it was. And I'm old enough to know 20 years ago, Indianapolis and Louisville and Nashville, were pretty neck and neck. St. Louis, right? I mean, we're all kind of Cincinnati maybe was a little more, right? But the rest of us were all kind of and yeah. at that time northern Kentucky didn't exist really. So it was really downtown Cincy. So it was like we were all kind of vying for positions. And then you see the people that have invested in the tech and see where they're where they are. And you're like, wow. Yeah. Man, to your point about failures and accepting as a
0: community that we're going to have failures. I heard a cool story today about a guy that had raised a million dollars and it just failed completely. Mm. And he thought he was just going to be shunned from the community. And the community he was in, I believe is out in Denver, looked at what had happened. And once he got up and dusted himself off, they're like, no, you have a million dollar education. Like you've gone out, you've tried it. You've now you have this experience. And in places like Silicon Valley, that's very you know, highly looked upon almost if if you've gone off and if you've done, if you've had those failures, it's like you've gotten the learnings. So if we can somehow start celebrating those failures and just understanding that it's not necessarily, you know, it is the sad reality that some of these businesses are going to fail, but it's not necessarily the end of those people that have built those businesses. They now have all those learnings that they can take and dump into. Compounding. Yeah, it's compounding.
1: It's it's, it's how it works. It's how... Uh, any system that gets, becomes more efficient over time—it's just like those small incremental things add up over time and
2: compound, and that just has to happen in the in the technology yep. space. Well, and, and there, there's two great books. One is Why Startups Fail. You know, it just came out in March. Tom Eisenman, I think, is the the author. He walks through that exercise, and, and it was fascinating to me because I'm I'm trying to understand why they fail, because we are one. So let's make sure that I understand why we fail. And so that I know the potholes to look out for. We're surrounding ourselves with people that have gone before us. Uh, so we're going, Hey, like, you know, I, am not afraid to say, I don't know. So, Hey, I've, I've got a lot of experience, but that doesn't mean I'm right, so Mm -hmm. let's figure this out. But he talks about, Hey, like you have to understand, like this, this is, this is part of business. Yeah, uh, and the likelihood of you having one that you know reaches ten million dollars isn't great. And the fact that everybody thinks they're going to be a unicorn, which yeah. obviously we do, point uh, zero zero something percent. Right. I mean, <laughs> <Good> it's <luck. laughs> you're you're. It, but here's the deal, right? All it takes is one. Yeah. So, and there's another great book. It's. um. It's when giving hurts or when helping hurts. And it talks about, you know, it's, it's about poverty. Like, Hey, you know what, if we're, if we're, you know, this is another passion of mine, but you start looking at like what happens when somebody, you continue to give something to somebody that, that doesn't need the monetary gift, right? Like, why are we giving people money? What you find and what the study talks about, it's a faith-based book, but it talks about these people are... Human beings, right? If you just get them to realize that they're sons and daughters of God and not poor, poverty-stricken people, society puts that on them. So it's the humility that kills them. So giving people money is like, hey, like, it's a way to be able to necessitate giving them the ability to survive, but giving them the gift of love and compassion and that you're a brother to me. Uh, and let's lift these people up and let them understand like, hey, like this isn't, it's not a monetary thing. It's not a, it's not a physical thing. Uh, so same thing. It's like, you know, failure, right? Like, oh, you know, you failed. Well, hey man, like at least you got in the game. Absolutely. And how can <laughs> Absolutely. I help you get back? And how can <laughs> yeah. I
1: help you make sure that you're not destroying yourself afterwards? You know, cause that. That happens, but yeah, I mean, I agree. We just gotta embrace more failure. We have to put more investment into where it needs to go, which is technology. I don't think there's, I don't know how anybody in the government could not believe that. Yeah, you know, I think it's just a matter of them finding the funds. Yeah, you know, it's just, that's the struggle. Well,
2: and I'll give, I'll give a shout out to Tony Ellis. I, I spoke to him you know, a couple of weeks ago. We sat down, and from what it sounds like, they're making strides. Yeah. Right there, you know, you've got to remove the politics from it, right? We're talking about economic development. It's not, yeah. This isn't Republican Democrat stuff. This is, how how can we build a community that not only can sustain itself, but attract the best of the best? Mm -hmm. Like, what can we do to drive success in the world that we live in, which is the United States of America? Yeah, so- You know, and and Tony's been tasked and charged with some things and he was giving me some insight and it looks like that we're making progress. We just got to remove it from the political arena and this party to party changeovers and (laughs) it's got to be bipartisan. Absolutely. Well, to close us out here, we always like ending on a forward looking statement
0: about your business and about this area. Uh, So tell us your long-term vision for what you guys want to accomplish at be simple. Uh, not only as a company, but as a team and what you guys are trying to do in this area as well.
2: Yeah. So long-term, what we're trying to accomplish is is we want to grow a hugely successful technology, B2B SaaS business, right? I mean, we want to be a company that not only from a monetary perspective is, is something of significance, but from a cultural perspective. Uh, we want to be involved heavily in our community. Uh, we are dedicated to helping others right our whole mantra is you know even on our platform right is how it was all um, came together was it's like we want to help people every day so connect people better we want to help companies better we want to help our customers you know be better like this is this is kind of just ingrained in who we are more resources allows us to do more things uh, and part of that is is hey we With technology and and trying to build tech in our community, we need. You were telling me about the community that you're now having, you know, teaching coding. Please, like, hallelujah. Like, we are developing right now out of this country because there's just not talent here enough to be able to sustain our business. And the cost associated with the talent that is here is not affordable for a startup. So you're going, all right, well... What do we do with that? Um, And I think there's always going to be a a need for both in some capacity, but we've got to be able to have a pipeline and it has to start in grade school and high school. And we have to get people interested and we have to give them a path and show them. And we want to help facilitate that, right? And we are looking at internships right now, like, hey, let's bring these college kids in and let's get them involved and ingrained in our business to see what this really means to be a tech startup. You know, because there's the allure, right? And then there's the grind. <laughs> so yeah. it, it always is way more, more fascinating than when you sit down. And you're like, hold on, it. I've got to make a hundred cold calls today. <laughs> yeah, that'll get you. <laughs> um, so yeah, so grow a big business. Yeah, uh, we'd like to have an exit. I mean, at the end of the day, like I said, we are, we're we're this isn't a legacy thing for us. Um, we hope it's attractive to a, a huge company that came and pays us. So. A gigantic multiple at some point, and uh, and then we can stay here, and we can build here, and we can uh, use Indianapolis as an example with High Alpha, and you know what? Hey, let's figure out how we can uh, pour some fuel in our community. So. Absolutely.
0: Well, buddy, thank you so much for coming into Lexington to talk with us and uh tell us about vsimple and your experience building the team and having that kind of mission-driven purpose that you guys have have built the team around. Uh before we let you go, give us some uh some ways that our audience can learn more about vsimple, connect with you if they want to. Where can they go to do that?
2: Yeah, so uh website vsimple.com. Uh it's evolving every day. Thank you, Alex Reed. Shout out to Alex. <laughs> um uh yeah, so we're you know, we're putting a bunch of information in the world. Follow me on LinkedIn, uh, Buddy Bockweg. Uh, there's only a couple of Bockwegs, I think, on LinkedIn, and none of them else are named Buddy. So, um, so you'll be able to find me. Uh, and then uh, if you're interested, we, you know, we're working on putting together a newsletter. So we're, you know, we're, we're still early trying to figure out what that would look like, you know, but we'd love to be able to get as many people involved and engaged. And then if you're, you know, uh, if you're a distributor, manufacturer, or logistics company, definitely reach out. Yeah, because we have a solution for you. Um, I promise you I'll knock your socks off.